Thank you, Pastor John. I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter number 1. We're continuing our series of messages about living a godly life in a foreign world. This world is not our final home. It's not our final destination. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior. Amen. Aren't you glad this isn't as good as it gets? And uh, <laughs> Right? Aren't you just glad? I praise God. This is not as good as it gets. We've got a better home than this, and we're looking forward to that place. Those who are joining us online today, I encourage you to follow along as well. Whether you're online at home or, or here, you can follow uh, the sermon outline if you want on the website that's available. And uh, so uh, uh, we put that up early so you can follow along as well. It's under resources and sermons and you should find today's outline for today's message there. We are so glad and thankful to God for uh, uh, you and for your being here today. Now, God has a word for all of us. Do you believe that? He does. Look with me to First Peter. Now, in chapter number one, as we looked at last week, he said, as the, like the Holy One who called you, you be holy in all of your conduct, because it is written... You shall be holy because I am holy. He said, listen, like he says, like the Holy One who called you. He called you into this salvation. He called you into this grace. And he said, so in all of your behavior, your manner of life, live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. And you are to be holy because he is holy. We talked about the holiness of God last week. Now this week, we're talking about living this out and beginning with verse number 17. So how now shall I live my life? There are two things that are going to be the posts that we're going to drill down on in the remaining part of this chapter. First of all, he says in verse number 17, conduct yourselves in, a fe in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth. So we are to fear the Lord alone. And then the second thing that he says in the way we should conduct our lives is that we are to fervently love one another from the heart. So uh, let's look at the text for today. And if you address as the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed that is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
the grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Amen. Today we want to talk about how now shall we live and In this passage of Scripture, he says, first of all, fear the Lord alone. In verse number 17, it's an interesting thing. He says, conduct yourselves, live your life in fear during your time on stay on the earth. What does he mean by live your life in fear? I thought we're not supposed to live in fear. No, we're not to live in fear of man. Don't live in fear of circumstances. But we are to live in fear of the Lord God Almighty. Amen? We're to reverence Him. We're to have holy awe about God Himself. We're to respect Him. There is only one that is worthy of worship, and we are to worship Him and Him alone. Amen? We bow our lives before Him and we worship Him. Fearing the Lord is a great Old Testament idea and a New Testament idea as well. And it's often, that phrase is often found, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. And that is a respect and a reverence toward him. In the book of Judges, an interesting story about a man by the name of Manoah and his wife. She is barren and can't have any children, and an angel of the Lord appears to her. She doesn't even know it is an angel of the Lord. And he tells her that she is going to have a child, have a son. Her heart is broken for a son. And he says, but you are to sanctify yourself. You're not to drink of any wine. And you are to keep an oath and a covenant with me. And this boy that you will have will have a Nazarite vow on his life on how he will live his life. She tells her husband about this encounter with this man of God. And he said, I would like to meet him. How come you saw him and I didn't see him? If you see him again, I want to meet this man of God, this messenger, this angel from the Lord. And so uh, she is out in a field and he appears to her a second time and tells her these promises again. And he says, she says, stay here. My husband wants to meet you. She runs and finds him, brings him to the man of God, to this angel, this messenger of the Lord. And he begins to tell them that you're, you're going to have a child. He said, how do we raise this child? He said, I've already told the woman this. And he said, well, uh, we want to fix you something to eat, some barbecue. And he said, he said, I don't want anything to eat. But he builds an altar and he starts a sacrifice. As the flames from the sacrifice go up into heaven, before he he looks at him, he says, tell me your name. He said, I can't tell you my name because my name is so, it is so huge, it's incomprehensible to you. And this messenger from God ascends through the flames right back up into heaven. And you know what Manoah said to his wife? He turned and looked at her and he said, we are going to die. Because we've seen God. God said to Moses, who desperately wanted the Lord to be intimate with them and walk with them through the wilderness to the promised land. On the second time he goes to Mount Sinai to receive the law, he's praying and praying, God, don't leave us, don't forsake us, don't wipe us off the planet for our sin. God, we want you with us. 
The Lord says to Moses, Moses, I know you want to see me, but you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. But I'll hide you in the, crefts, in the cleft of this rock, in this crevice, and I'll cover you with my hand. When I pass by you, you will see part of my back, but my face you shall not see. Because of the holiness and reverence of God. We live in a world where we don't reverence God. We don't respect God. We use his name flippantly. Vainly, we want to make God and create him in our own image. We take his name lightly. We take his presence lightly. We think that we, what we want to do is domesticate God. We want him to serve us. We want to manage God. We want to manipulate God. God is, cannot be managed nor manipulated. He is a mighty and awesome God. And we are to serve him and to fear him in our lives. How, why are we to fear him? Verse number 17, notice, he says, if you address as father. When you pray, don't you pray to him as a father? Isn't he your father? Didn't Jesus teach us in Matthew's gospel, our father who what? Art in what? Heaven. You know this, don't you? Say it with him. Our father who art in heaven. What? Holy. And may your name be hallowed and reverenced and holy because you are our Father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul's reminding us that death is not the end. He said to be absent from the body is to be where? Present at home with the Lord. Why does he say at home? Because we, he is our Father. Father, and we are His children, and His Spirit dwells in us, saying, Abba, Daddy, Father, and we reverence Him because He's our Father. That's why we have as our ambition, whether we're absent or home with Him, to be pleasing unto Him. The driving force in my life is to please my Father. Amen. You have a father. Some of you didn't have a very good earthly father. Some of us had an absentee father. Some of us had an abusive and hateful father. But I'm telling you, you have a heavenly father who loves you and gives to you and graces you and accepts you and will never abuse you. And he loves you. You. And don't you desire to please him? Even as a boy, I'm so grateful. Uh, here I am, a grandfather. But my, I'm so grateful my father is still alive. And uh, he's 84 years old. And uh, he is still alive and healthy. And this morning, he's preaching in West Frankfort, Illinois today. I'm so grateful for him, thankful for him and my mom both, to have them both. As a boy, I wanted, and even as a man, I still want to be pleasing to my father. 
I like to share with my father what's going on in my life. Share with my father what's happening with my children. As a boy, when I used to play baseball or, or sports, if I could drown out everybody else's voice in the stands, but not my dad's as he would shout things at me, sometimes good things when I played well, and sometimes he was exhorting me to do better. And so that was, but I could hear his voice as he spoke to me. I remember one particular football game, I was having a, a, a pretty good night, and so we were playing, uh, we were in Effingham playing, and uh, I was able to, as an outside linebacker, able to tackle the quarterback and uh, behind uh, in the end zone for a safety and two points. And so uh, then later in the game, we had them backed up to the 20-yard line, and they were trying to pitch a lateral, and I was able to tip that lateral, and it, it uh, was bouncing along the grass. And with lightning speed that I have, I... I ran into the end zone and uh, barely made it before they tackled me and scored a touchdown. And so I was just thrilled, but my coach was thrilled. The team was thrilled. It was fun. It was a part of that team, but most importantly, just my dad saying, hey, man, great game. It pleased him. And, but more importantly than that, I have a heavenly father. And when this world is done, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've pleased me in how you lived your life. But he's not only my father, he's my judge. Notice what he says in verse number 17. The one who impartially judges according, what does it say, verse 17? To each man's work. Did you know that you're going to give an account of your life before holy God? And shouldn't that give you pause? And shouldn't that make you reverence him? You're going to stand before holy God and give an account of your life. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, look with me in verse number 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Did you know you will stand before God and give an account of how you've lived your life? The next verse says, therefore, knowing the what? Fear of the Lord. That reverence toward him because you will give an account of your life to holy God and how you've lived your life. Now, listen, all of your sins were judged in Christ on the cross at Calvary. He paid for your sins in full. But you will give an account of your life. And just because you've professed and said with your mouth that you have trusted Jesus, that doesn't mean that your life really proves that you've trusted Jesus. There will be an accounting of your life. Your words reveal your heart. Your actions reveal your heart. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12, Jesus had this to say, about a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. He said a good tree can't bear bad fruit, or a bad tree produce good fruit. And he said you'll know them by the fruit that they have in their life. He, 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 he brings criticism to these religious leaders. In verse, in verse number 33, he says, he says, or actually, look in verse 35. A good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of evil treasure brings forth what's evil. 
But I say to you, listen, every careless, useless word that men shall speak, they'll render an account for it the day of judgment. Did you know all the words that you have spoken, well, you'll have to give an account to God for it? Does that cause anybody to be some pause in your life? Listen to what he says. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth and how you live your life. Listen, it's not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, that enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Preach. Lord, in your name, didn't we not cast out demons? In your name, did we not work miracles? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Listen, you can, you can walk down the aisle, and that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You can fill out a card. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You can pray a prayer at the back of a track. That doesn't mean you're going to heaven. You can be dunked in the baptistry. That doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. It means that you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ as the Lord and Master of your life, and you've been born again, changed by His Spirit, which shows itself in the way you live, the way you walk, the way you talk, and how you value. That is the evidence of this faith that's in you. You're not saved by works. You're saved by His works. But when you're saved, He works in you and His life is changing yours. Amen? Amen. This is God's work in you. But not only should I reverence him because he's my father and he's my judge and I will give an account of my life, I should reverence him out of pure, sheer gratitude for the sacrifice that he paid for me. Notice in verse number 18 and 19, knowing you were not redeemed or ransomed, with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. You, weren't, you were not rescued and ransomed by money or perishable things. But with what? Verse 19. The precious blood. How precious? As a lamb unblemished, spotless. What lamb? The blood of Christ. My friends, you were saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is a picture he's hearkening back here, Peter, to Passover. And Passover was the last and final plague in Egypt when the children of Israel were held in slavery. And remember how Pharaoh had hardened his heart and God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. He was going to show his glory and release his children. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get a lamb, and this lamb has to be spotless, without blemish. Don't call one of the sickly ones out of the herd. No, you get the very best and finest of the lambs, without spot or blemish. And you are then to kill it and capture the blood and take hyssop and paint it over the doorpost. And you and your family then roast that lamb, bring your family with you around the table, and you are to eat the lamb, and then you will... They have celebrate Passover with me. 
You're to eat bread without leaven. You're to have your feet shod with your sandals. And you're to have your staff in your hand. And you are going to get ready because with a mighty and powerful arm, I'm going to lead you out. The death angel passed over and the firstborn died all over Egypt except for those under the blood. And if you were under the blood, you were saved. You were rescued from the wrath of God. And you were rescued out of slavery into life. This is Jesus, our paschal lamb. It was not the blood of bulls and goats that sacrificed for us. It was the precious blood of the second person of the Trinity who left the regal robes of glory and took upon human flesh and lived a perfect life, spotless and unblemished. And he died on a cross and his blood was poured out so that you might be saved. And this great gift, this great gift has ramifications about how you should live your life. He alone is worthy of our worship because of the redemption that he has provided for us. In the book of Revelation, in the throne room, there's a great scene there where there's no one who's worthy to open the book that's written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. John, he sees that scene in heaven and says, who is worthy? But there's nobody found in heaven, nobody found on earth, nobody found under the earth that was worthy to break the seals and open the book. And John, in that revelation, he, in, in that vision of that, he, he begins to weep and to cry. But one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome to open a book and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb standing as if slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The elders fall down before the lamb and they're singing a new song. In verse number 9, Worthy are you to take the book and break its seals. For thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. Hallelujah. We've been saved by precious blood. And he alone is worthy of our worship and praise. You've been bought with a price, Paul said. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen. Amen. The greatest sacrifice ever given was for you. Steven Spielberg is such an unbelievable teller of stories through movies. In one of his great films, which is now many years old, but it's a film about World War II called Saving Private Ryan. How many of y'all ever seen that movie? It's gory in many ways. War is not beautiful. The mission of this troop, this small company, is to go and rescue a young man who's named Ryan, Private Ryan, because his brothers were in the war as well, and they had been killed, and they did not want a mother grieved of her only living son. 
And so they're on mission to find Private Ryan. It means a great cost to them. Many battles they're engaged in and some lose their lives. When Ryan is finally found, Captain Miller himself is mortally wounded, dying. And he looks at Ryan as he's dying. One of the last words in his mouth, Captain Miller looks at him and he said, Ryan, earn this. Earn this. And he died. The last scene in the movie is now an old man, a senior adult, Private Ryan, standing in Normandy at the foot of a grave marker. And it's Captain Miller. He's weeping. His wife walks up next to him. And he looks at her and he says, tell me that I'm a good man. My friends, the precious blood and the greatest and most perfect sacrifice was laid down so that you might live. Live a life worthy of the purchase price of your salvation. Amen? Amen. But finally, we should reverence him because of the greatness of the one who saved you. Notice in this passage of Scripture how great our God is in his saving work for you. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Stop with me right there. Did you know it was predestined and predetermined by God Almighty before this world was even created in the, in the throne room of heaven, in the councils of the heaven among the Trinity? Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, said and determined by the counsel of God himself that he would redeem mankind that they would create by the purchase of his own blood. He's appeared in these last times for the sake of you. He came with a purpose and a predestined plan so that you through him are believers in God. He saved you personally. He saved you intentionally. He came to rescue and save you, to die for you on the cross and to redeem you to himself. He chose you before the foundation of the earth. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Not only that, Jesus died in your place. Not only that, God raised him from the dead and given him a name that is above every name. He gave him glory and that your faith, your hope don't rest in your works, but it rests in a mighty God that did this for you. So reverence him. Fear him. Love him. Serve him. Amen. The second point is that we are to love one another. Notice in verse, how do I live this life? He says in verse number 22, fervently love one another from the heart. How do I fervently, how do I sincerely love others from the heart? Number one, it begins by sanctifying your own heart. Notice what he says in verse 22, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love for the brethren. Here's the point. You can't love people well if you don't love God supremely. 
And you can't love people well if you're still loving, living for your own flesh, your own desires, and your own agenda. Notice in chapter 2, verse number 1, put aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Set apart, consecrate your life to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 11. Listen to what it says. I urge you as aliens and strangers here to abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? They wage war against your soul. You're in warfare. You've got to consecrate yourself to God. And when you do that, then you can love. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. How do I do that? By loving God supremely. Chapter 3, verse number 15. Listen to what the scripture says. Sanctify, set apart, consecrate Christ as Lord, where? In your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. Keep, your, keep a good conscience. And the things that they slander you, as, uh, uh, they, uh, that they revile you, they make fun of you, they might in the end be put to shame because of your lives. And Paul said that's exactly what the Corinthians, uh, what they uh, said to the Corinthians, that's what the Macedonians did. They first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us. So if you're going to, this is the way we live the Christian life. You don't live your life for yourself or you'll never love other people. But Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Don't live for self. Take up his own cross. Find redemptive ministry. Give. Love others. And follow me. Amen. Does anybody have a hard time loving people? Sure we do. It's because of this warfare in our own hearts. It's hard for me to love other people when I'm all about loving me. Right? So I have this heart problem. And so I need heart surgery. Am I the only one in here that needs heart surgery? I don't think so. And that's this cleansing, this cutting away of sin in my own life. And that's why we're always fighting for my own rights. You know what? Uh, I, I, have, I have never seen so much anger as in our culture right now. Do you all agree with me? It's just right here. It's bubbling, isn't it? It's just right under the surface. We're just angry. We're angry about all kinds of stuff. We're angry. We're angry about COVID. We're angry about the government. We're angry about Pritzker. We're angry the governor. We're angry about laws. We're angry about masks. We're angry. We're just angry. We're angry about politics. We're angry about the president. We're angry about, we're just angry. It just bubbles up. And we're angry about uh, social unrest, and we're angry about lawlessness, and we're, we're just angry. It just boils over. Problem is, in our life, it's hard for me to love other people. I'm always fighting for me. And some people are hard to love. I get it. The other day I was going to Target, and I was kind of, you know, I'm not always just aware. I'm thinking about a million things, and I pulled into a parking spot. Apparently, there was this woman going to park in that spot, and I pulled in front of her. Well, I got on my truck just kind of clueless. 
I'm walking there. I didn't do it intentionally. She gave me the, she was a little bitty woman, but man, she used some language I hadn't heard in a long time. And she called me new names for a pastor I hadn't been called in a long time. And I said, whoa. And I tell you, if she didn't have a mask on, I'd have been spit all over, I'm telling you. I said, I'd be more than glad to back this thing out and let you get in here. But no, she rolled up her window and spit off. There's some people that's hard to love. I wrote this down. I want you to ponder this thought. This would be good for wedding counseling, by the way. Loving you is going to be the death of me. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? If I'm going to love you, it does mean the death of me. It's not about me. It's about loving you. But listen, truth of, me, truth of the matter is this. Loving you is going to be the salvation of me because when I lose my life, that's when I find it. When I try to keep it and hold it, that's when I lose it. You see, loving us was the death of Jesus, wasn't it? And he laid down his life so we could have life. Amen. Not only that, you've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. This new birth in you gives you strength and it gives you power to love other people. You've been born again, not with perishable seed, but with imperishable seed. It's through the living and abiding and enduring word of God. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's family is born of the perfect and perishable seed, flawless seed, powerful seed. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. John 15, 3 says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. John 17 says, sanctify them truth. Thy word is truth. The truth and the imperishable seed of the word of God dwells in you, changing you so that you can love God and love people. Amen. And this was the gospel. That's what he says. This is the gospel that was preached to you. The last verse. Kid, this is the message you heard and you received. Now our takeaways for today. Number one. Am I fearing, reverencing the Lord alone? Am I fearing or reverencing the Lord alone? Good question. Second question is how are you reverencing him? In what ways do you reverence God in your life? Are you obeying him? Are you repentant toward him? Are you trusting in him? Are you Making his will a priority in your life? 
Are you reverencing him? How are you reverencing him? Number three, the question I want you to consider is, am I sincerely loving my brother or sister? Do I love others? Am I loving them? Fourth question is, am I fervently, that means warmly, deeply loving them? Is that evident in your life? This next question is, what is preventing me? If I'm not loving them, what's preventing me from doing it? And can I give you a clue? The issue is sin in us. And the reason we can't love other people well is because of sin in us. You say, well, if you knew how... No, no, no. No, the issue is it's sin in you. And when you set that yourself apart unto Christ, you can begin to love people that are unlovely and sinful and ugly. You can. You say, Pastor, how do you know I can? Because, Because Christ is in you. Let me ask you this. Did Christ love sinful people? Did he love ugly people and hateful people? The Bible says, while we were yet, what, sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. What is the transformation that God's looking for in your life? I'll give you a clue in Matthew chapter 22. He's looking for two things, to love God supremely with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God wants for us. We live in a world that's foreign and fallen. And we are to live aliens, different in this world. And the only way that the light shines in darkness is when our lives are a contrast to the world. If we act like the world, if we love only those who love us, how are we any different than the Gentiles? Don't they do the same? So we live differently, and as our life is contrast, love our enemies. He says, you've heard it said of old, he said to to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you might be sons of your Father. Let your light shine as a contrast in this broken world. Then the last question. Does the world see something different in the way you relate to others and the way you love? By this shall all men know that you're mine, if you have love for one another. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. John 15 says, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. And No one has greater love than this, than a man lay down his life. Or his friends, will you lay down down your life to love other people? It's not sin in others that makes us hard to love people. It's sin in us that makes it hard to love people. God loves you. Will you revere him? Will you love him? (laughs) Will you? Will you love others? This is the life that he's called us to. This is how we live as aliens and strangers in a foreign world. 
differently. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Your Holy Spirit speaking. We turn from sin now. and We turn to Jesus. Father, forgive us. Father, renew us. Oh, God, revive us. Oh, Father, may we reverence you and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.